welcome to Offwatch, a podcast by the Ocean Race. Welcome to Offwatch, our weekly interview series. A slight change of tack for this episode. I got a chance to talk to Johan Rochon, not a name that all of you will be familiar with, but a rising star in the offshore circuit and the skipper for the Murpuri Foundation's entry for the next edition. Now, how do you land a role like that? Well, just listen to his amazing story and where he's gained his experience. Also, we get his take on the VO65 and why he's excited to let the throttle open in the Southern Ocean. If you enjoy this interview, subscribe for more and leave us an idea in the comments who you want us to talk to next. Enjoy. Well, Johan Richom is the uh, skipper of the Murpuri Foundation's team for the next edition of the race, Racing for the Planet. Now, how does somebody that's never done the race before land the role of skipper in their first entry? Well, you only need to look at the results of the Solitaire de Figaro, the incredibly ruthless solo offshore race, the French proving ground for future ocean race stars. And Johan has won this race twice and that's a very rare thing indeed mix into that some experience with the imoka 60s uh, a win in the ruderum in the class 40 and you begin to understand why this person has been labeled as a potential major star of offshore sailing in the future if indeed he isn't already so uh johan I mean, obviously, you've done uh, some pretty big things. You've got the knowledge, you've got the skills to make a big impact. But the next thing is, considering all the successes you've had before, they've mainly been solo, they've mainly been shorthanded sailing. So I guess you've got to build a team. How do you go about expanding your sort of performance from a, a one, two-person operation to a, to a large team, like something that would be required for the ocean race? Well, yeah, for sure. It's the question I get all the time. Uh, people think I only sail solo. Uh, while I, I think I've actually done most of my racing crew. You know about it because we race together. Um, and so, you know, back in the days of uni, uh, between uh, two, 2003 and 2006, uh, we had a student team running on the Tour of uh, a very big race at the time. Um, and, uh, that's how I got into racing, first of all. And so I got into racing through crew sailing, which is the one I always preferred. Uh, but the thing is in, in France, if you want to have a professional career in sailing, you need to go, uh, through the solo route, you know? And so at the beginning, I, 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 I actually, I, I told myself that I needed to do the solitaire once in my life to, you know, have no regrets and, 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 and to give it a try. I kind of went well, and and I kept on going. I, yeah, I kept on going. Well, the first few years weren't as good as the last ones, huh? but um, I, I kind of kept on going that way. But I've, I've, you know, I've done obviously solo sailing for the past uh, well ten years now. Yeah. Um, but I, I've always liked and actually preferred uh, crude sailing. You know, uh, they're both very good. They both have their challenges. And obviously, this is a, a a really big challenge for me is going back into a, well the hardest crew race there is. So I need to get back into selecting people, which was what we were doing before everything started to lock down. Um, but yeah, the challenge is huge, and uh, and uh, I think that I 
I can, uh, you know, I can concentrate on that for the next year and a half, uh, which is good. And uh, knowing that I've got the knowledge to to do the the rest of the sailing, and and you know, and uh, that I already have a, a few people I want to take with me who have the same culture, and and as well that have Franck Camas and Charles Caudrier have proven that what we do in France can be useful on a you know crude international race. So. I'm not too worried about the knowledge we have. Uh, it's uh, the challenge is definitely building the team. Well, you you mentioned university, and I, and I just want to flag something up, just because I, I want to get to this later on. I mean, we went to the same university together, um, yacht design. So there's a sort of you know a, a naval architect, a kind of um, a science approach uh, to sailboat racing, and I, and I, I want to pick apart your knowledge from foil assisted sailing, because I know you've done a lot of that sort of things with the Figaro 3 and the Amoka 60. But before I do that, um, where, you know, where you say, okay, you've got to build a team. As a skipper, how on earth do you even come close to replicating the sort of challenges that a team in the ocean race is going to be under for nine months in the Southern Ocean, tired, wet, hungry. How do you replicate something like that in order to see whether a potential teammate has the right stuff? Well, I, I actually don't think you can perfectly do it. You can you can try and get close to it, but there is uh, you'll always be lacking the time thing because you're not going to take somebody out you know, uh, on a trial for uh, three months out to sea. Mm. Uh, so obviously that's going to be a tough one. Um, what we've actually done, if you've uh, seen the video, uh, we started crew trials, um, when was that now? Uh, beginning of March. And uh, I've completely disconnected now. Um, <laughs> and we brought them over to France uh, uh, to uh, do the trials on figure threes because I wanted to put them in a difficult situation where they had to not sailed about single-handed, but double-handed. And uh, we knew that in March in France, you still get some rough conditions, which is actually what we got, because we pretty much got tw at least 20 knots every day. And, um, and so that was a very nice and very useful uh, thing to do. We saw uh, a lot of talented people, a lot of different skills as well. And um, we, 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 you know, we worked as well on the psychology side of things. So we have a, a good overview of around 12, 13 sailors right now. Um, as you know, the rules uh, make it, you know, make the crew really young because you have to have a lot of people under 30. So uh, we started concentrating on that. Obviously, I'm bringing in um, experienced people to take care of the, the rest of the, you know, the crew. Um, but the, the selection of the young guys and girls is, is, a, is, a, is a really big challenge. And uh, we tried to, to start with that. And, uh, and because we, we have the time on our side, and as I said, uh, when I started answering this question, it's hard to know people in the long run. Mm -hmm. So the chance is to select people now and already have kind of a run until next year uh, before we get to the race. So that's how we want to use the time. How does somebody go about, if they're going into something like that with a crew trial, you know, are there any sort of do's and don'ts that you wish that they would have learned? How do you stand out in the right way? And what's something that you shouldn't do that would make you stand out in the wrong way? Well, <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, I think I've talked to a lot of people about the Volvo Ocean Race already. And, you know, you can see that it's a tough challenge and 
Mm. Pretty much no one gets it right. It's a kind of like the cigar. It's a challenge of the one that makes the least mistakes. It's not the one that doesn't make any mistakes. You're always going to make some. I have no doubts about that. I'm going to make mistakes. There are no doubts. I'm going to select people which I'm going to regret. And sure. maybe, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll have time to change. Maybe I won't and I'll have to work around it. There are no doubts about that. And, um, you know, you got to make the best of it. There's no, there's no formula. Otherwise, it would be way too easy. For those people that are unaware of what the Solitaire de Figaro is, um, how, how would you try and encapsulate what that event is and what a test it is for the sailors? Um, it's, it's hard to answer, but sometimes I, I say that um, if you want to get into the top, usually for most people, if you want to get into the top 10 of the Solitaire, it takes at least three to four years. So it gives you an idea of how, how tough it is. Very few people make it into the top 10 or top five within three years. It's very hard. And it takes at least, you know, three, four, five, sometimes way more years to get your first win in the Solitaire or even the first win of a win we're lure race or the first win in a, in training in Paul Forêt or stuff like that. It's, it's massively, you know, it's a massive, um, achievement to to get to that point because it, it you, you need to master pretty much everything about sailing you need to make the boat go fast so you need to be able to prepare your boat to trim it uh, set up your mast choose yourself and then be good in electronics set up your autopilot use your computer do some weather routing know the weather do some tactics obviously um manage your sleep know yourself which is pretty much the hardest thing there is is really <laughs> how to get yourself to uh, a better level than when you started because you can always improve technically that's not very hard you go talk to the right people you do the right training you spend the hours that's fine but getting to know yourself and to progress and to improve on your sleep your tiredness your stresses your you know there are so many subjects i spent so much time on it that is the extra mile that you need to go to um, to 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 win these events because that that everybody is very good technically in the end. Everybody. And, I, I mean, I'm just trying to think. I mean, lots of people have said that there's no better place than the Solitaire de Figaro because you, you know you're talking legs that are sort of two days, three days, four days of racing by yourself solo on this boat, and it's. It's coastal racing, you know, it's, it's, it's um, backwards and forwards across the, uh, you know, the channel between uh, the UK and France. That almost, in my mind, that almost makes it tougher than sailing on an open sea. You know, it, it, there's so many different weather systems that can come through, so many different currents. I mean, how long do you set the boat up, get into a rhythm and say, this is going to be good for the next hour Two hours. I mean, no. what is it? Twenty, minute, like? 20 minutes, max. <laughs> max, no doubt. I mean, it's first of all, it's the right uh, sleep rhythm is about fifteen to twenty minutes for everybody. So you're not setting your alarm clock for any longer than that, because then you get into too much sleep, and it's hard to wake up, and 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 then you you lose the rhythm. And then there's a security thing: is that if you're if you have two boats coming head to head, 20 minutes is about the time you have, you know, visually. So you know that if you can't see anything ahead of you, 
you probably won't hit it for the next 20 minutes. That's kind of the thing. <laughs> but, but you're right. So, the, the race being in between um, like Ireland and Spain and the past few years a lot in the channel mm. means that, well, you've got the currents, you've got the winds, obviously, which are tricky. The currents are very tricky, but then you've got all the fishing boats. Everything is mostly on AIS now, but and you've got all the traffic coming across the channel and the seaweed, which is like the most annoying thing there is, is you, you do seaweed checks every 10 minutes. Full seaweed checks, keel, rudders, props. It's mental. That gets you, uh, it made me crazy, you know. Sometimes it, 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 it just, you, there's so much seaweed that it, it slows the boat down and sometimes you can feel it. We're, we're so used to the boat that sometimes you can feel the, the seaweed on the boat, on the rudders, sleeping downstairs. It's just, it's like that. You, you, you feel the boat so much, you, you know the boat so much that like sometimes I can tell you which setup in the autopilot we have just by the way it's helming. I remember that. And, and it's because we spent, we spent 150, 200 days on the boat per year, per year. It's what I was saying to most people is like, but yeah, but how are you going to handle the offshore side? We sail offshore 150 days a year. We have this, the Figaro circuit is five to seven, eight events a year. You know, the big one is the solitaire. The solitaire takes a month, but you know, some, some of the years we have double-handed or single-handed transats across the Atlantic. So that's two months of preparation, three weeks of sailing, plus getting the boat back. You know, it's a, it's a big circuit. You get to rest for maybe a month, you know, December, December, a bit of January. That's it. The rest of it is your own, you know, the racing program. So, so it's, it, it's very full on. Why do it? I mean, it's, 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 it sounds horrible. I mean, it sounds challenge. horrible. The challenge. There's, I mean, there is nothing. I mean, obviously, there is the Volvo or the Vendée Globe. You know, there, there, there are other big challenges, but there are every four years. There, the, the organization is massive. It's completely different. It's, this, this circuit is a professional circuit from which you can live, and that happens every year. That's why, that's why I got into it and the challenge as well. I mean, when you do it, uh, you know, you're, you know, you've got a very good level. You know, some years is probably better than others because you got more sailors with, you know, you know, past victories or talents and stuff that have come back into the race, but it's, it's a massive event. It's, it's, it's a crazy event. It's, it's the Olympic Games of offshore racing, and it's going to be in the Olympic Games in 2024. And, and you know, for sure, there's nothing like it. Or some of the sailors that come in and out of the class say that it's pretty close to an Olympic campaign preparation. And, and of course, you, know, you look at some of the names of the people that have done it before, and like I was saying, you can understand why if you were building your ocean race team and you needed to pick experienced, uh, well-versed in sort of team management, in campaigning, you'd go to the Figaro fleet and you pick some people out. You yourself, you know, you've done this race uh, eight times. You've done the, the Solitaire de Figaro. First one in, in 2010, 
well, you made a bit of a splash as finishing second rookie. And I just want to make sure I've got this sort of story right. You, you weren't, um, you know, you, your entry into the event was basically working as sort of shoreside support for um, some of the big names, Nico Lundvin, who was uh, navigating on board the, the last edition of the Ocean Race. Um, and then you get a chance, you know, you, you get on board, you get your own boat, you, you go for it, you finish with second rookie. And like you were saying, it takes a while, doesn't it? Because uh, it's 2016, six campaigns later, and then you get the win. And yeah. that must have felt, that must have been quite a, quite a moment to have been slogging at that for six years. I, 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 I actually didn't think I would ever win it. Uh, I mean, I was, I was working towards it. Obviously, you don't, you don't spend that much time on this project, but it's such an incredible goal that, you know, I, I knew I, in 2013, I finished fourth. So I, know, I knew I came close, but, you know, it's still another step to go and win it and to, you know, manage the win as well, you know. And so that was, that was massive. And I knew that I was at the end of my contract with Messi. And so I, I knew that I, I didn't have sponsorship in the next year. And I, anyway, I wanted to stop because I had done it for six straight years. Or is that seven? That's actually seven straight years. And I just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, the boot was the figure out who was getting old, you know, so mm -hmm. it sometimes it gets a bit on your mind, you know, but it's just, it's just too much, too intense. I mean, I, it was, I had no life outside of this, no life. Seriously, like there was almost no vacation with the friends. Uh, I missed most of my friend's wedding because they were all during the figure out. And, you know, it, it was, it was like that. It was a complete immersion into the system to try and, and, and get, you know, better at this uh, stupid little game. <laughs> oh, no, now, that brings me to something, though, because you mentioned the Figaro 2. So the Figaro 2 gets replaced by the Figaro 3. And this is a boat that's, um, well, it's a bit of a step change in terms of technology, in terms of um, the foil-assisted systems that we're now seeing um, with the Amoka 16 that's going to feature in the next edition of the Ocean Race. And you were involved with the the development of that boat and um how it sort of came about you know w where were you in that system of you know going from a boat with oh, the figaro two is fairly conventional the figaro three things have sort of taken a bit of a step change you know where did you fit into that system um very early on because i was uh i was part of the team that uh, you know characteristics for the boat um so we started uh in i think 2016 and we were all tired with the boat you know it was more than 15 years old then and you know it really felt like we were sailing an old boat compared to everyone else it, it made almost no more no sense you know we're still still on symmetrical kites with pole try driving that in three knots <laughs> <laughs> And so no Basprit, no Jenneker. Uh, so we're sailing, you know, like a very different type of sailing. So as well, it was making it um, hard for the new guys to come in. Like we had some of the young guys, they had never seen a spinnaker pole in their life. Mm. So they would come from JAT or whatever, you know, pretty much any other class. And they would go, what the hell is this? <laughs> so at one point we said, okay, this is it. You know, we need to invest it in a new fleet. So 
basically went back to uh, Benito and said, do you want to do a new fleet with us? And so they said, yes, but we want a technology to stand out, you know, so just don't make a figure or two with a bowsprit, basically. Um, make, so a, make a big change, make a big step up. Make a big change, but that's visible. So that was kind of the marketing side of it. Mm. You know, there's no, no point in lying about it. Um, so they wanted something visible, so we worked around it. That's why we have a, a very different system of foils to most of the other boats. And so I was involved from a very early stage, you know, picking the characteristics, basically what size, you know, compared to the investment we wanted to make and, you know, the sale area, number of sales and stuff like that. And, and the races we wanted to race and how many people on board and, and all this. And uh, then I, I took the project on. Uh, I represented the sailors uh, in the design team uh, with VPLP and Benito and went all the way to the first, uh, basically the first sea trials. And then uh, then I thought that was it because I wasn't going to go back to the Figaro and until I got the call last year to to race the boat in its first season. And and and, and this was a last minute call. I mean, this was Charles Codrelia was meant to be doing you know he had a boat he was meant to be sailing he gets called away you step in i won't you know i'll give you your moment what happens next yeah no yeah he gave me the call a month and a half before the race so uh we just set up a simple little project and uh and uh and i went for it you know and 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 actually won it you know <laughs> on the first on the first leg uh, and then, uh, yeah, I did a, what was it? I did a one, two, 13 and four, uh, result on the legs and won it by like an hour and a half. It was just, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's crazy, but that's crazy. Cause there's such a piece of that puzzle that's missing because this is, this is one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about sailing with foils. So it's a, you know, it's a new type of sailing. Uh, relatively, you know, most people will not have got anywhere near sailing with uh, any kind of foil assisting. You jump into a boat with what a month and a half. I mean, how did you have to change how you approached sailing uh, when you sail with the foils, or did it just the technology worked? Um, I think it works. Uh, a lot of people don't understand it that way, but I mean, what you, what you have to understand is it's, it's a heavy boat, so it, it, it won't foil, obviously, like an Imoka or like a Moth or anything like that. Sure, sure. It, it, it's three tons for less than 10 meters, so it's still a heavy boat. Uh, but they do work as kind of dagger boards upwind, which you can trim. So um, that was a big part of what we had to find out was uh, how to use them upwind. Because the rest, for the rest of it, it's not too hard. Um, as soon as you go fast, you can, you know, you go max, max rake on the foils and, and use them as best as you can. Um, they do go really fast and, you know, you get some really big averages near 20 knots. Uh, so for a, a three ton, nine and nine meter 75 boat, it's pretty amazing. Like, uh, you, you like, yeah, it really goes, it could be even better, but it really goes. And so you have to get used to it. So what was good was that. Even though I had I'd sailed the boat a little bit in the preseason, but not all that much, uh, everybody was still learning. So the options were, you know, wide open on, as to how to use the foils, when, and 
and what angles to, you know, sail the boat and stuff like that. So that was really fun. And that's the part I liked. And that's the part as well. I, 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 I enjoyed in the class 40s a year before was getting to know the boat really fast and get, you know, not all, but most of the potential out of it really, really quickly. And that so was, do, do, so that was fun. do you prefer that? Do you prefer a blank sheet of paper rather than, you know, do you find that a little bit more invigorating rather than here's the tuning guide, off you go? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more fun. It's more fun because there are more things to find out. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, it, it was a, it was a, it was a good thing. But as well, I think, uh, you know, all these years in the Figaro two shows you that even though you're on your 15th year of sailing the boat, you still find things to make it go faster. Hmm. It's a tiny bit for sure. It's a tiny bit, but you always, always find things and it makes you, it just makes you work so hard. When you know, when you've lived that, you know, every little detail counts and that you will, you will do whatever it takes to find that next little detail that will, you know, just keep on adding up. And in the end, make that little bit of a difference. I'm going to change. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can edit that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fine. So then the VO65, which you're lined up as skipper, racing for the planet with the Mapuri Foundation. That's a one design. And not only is it a one design, but in my experience anyway, it's an incredibly strict one design. You know, there are barcodes on the end of the ropes to make sure that they haven't been swapped out for lighter ones, longer ones. So it's a little bit of a shift of gears into a very tight one design racing. How does your mind approach that in the quest for an edge for speed? Well, uh, I, the feeling I have is it's very close to the, to the figure hole one design rules. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit more because the sails are one design, uh, like the, the computers and stuff, and quite a few more things are one design. Um, but it's, it's still the same. It's very strict, so you need to, to know the rules, uh, the intricacies of the rules, exactly what you're allowed and not allowed to do, and you have to play with that. And, uh, and you have to, what I said before, is you have to find all those details that make the boat faster within a, a very tight, you know, uh, allowance and I really like that it's 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 uh, you know it, 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 I'm really passionate about you know making these boats go faster so it, it can be it can be the Imoka where you make really big difference in really big changes and it can be the one design you know side of things and I think for that the 65 is a great boat and I actually think you know the racing could be very interesting in the 65 the 65s can you know they have been ch they're chasing big weather chasing big waves you know you can really seem to sort of push those boats what um what opportunity have you had so far to kind of push the throttle down on a 65 or are you still waiting for that chance no we've actually done it uh we did a um almost a week of training in cascais in uh, february i think and we went out in 30 35 knots so uh, I got to see how it was downwind. Um, it was uh, a good lesson. <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, we, we took the boat up to 31 knots and, uh, you know, oh, nice. yeah, it was, it was big waves and stuff. So it was very, very interesting. Um, I can see that the, yeah, the, what, what shocked me the most was the impact of the waves on the helmsman and on the crew. 
that is something we're not used to because we're mostly covered. I mean, on the Imoka, you can be at, you know, 25, 30 knots with a, you know, full sail and everything under the coach roof drinking tea. I mean, you're just sitting there looking at the computer and playing with the autopilot. It's completely different. Try doing that on a 65. <laughs> it's, uh, no, no, it's, 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 a, it's a very different type of sailing. Uh, I can see how tough it is for sure. Um, mm. I, it was a very useful session because now I understand more of what I need, what I need from people and, you know, and how it's going to be uh, in the race, even though that was only a, like a two hour session. <laughs> You're on there on a 65 with now um, a lot of people wanting to be in your shoes. Does it just feel like another day in the office or, you know, do you have to sort of, you know, hide the smile occasionally? It's, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a dream because uh, this ocean race, you know, I, I would dream of it, but I, I, it's kind of like the solitaire wind. I would dream of it, but I'd never actually think it would happen. And, yeah. and not even as a skipper. I know I was going to go, I was trying to look, you know, to be a crew on one of the boats, but uh, this is, this is, you know, this is my dream position. I actually did a podcast well, almost a year ago now where I said, where the, the person said, what would be your dream job? I said, skipper in the bowl ocean. Deal. So I can't lie now. That's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I can I can tell by the tone of your voice you're you're itching to get back out on the water. Oh, so I'm yeah. I'm hoping to see you what guys happening out fairly right now. soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you were saying the other day, you, you know, you can see the sea from your um from your house at the moment. So it's sort of tantalizingly close, but you can't yeah, actually get out there. We're not allowed to sail in France uh, pretty much as anywhere else, I guess. Mm. And uh, so we're, we're going to be able to sail uh, in, on May 11th again. So that would be, you know, I can't, I can't wait because it's been a long time. But I've actually, I've actually, you know, um, forgot about sailing for a month and a half. I then, you know, it, it was weird because we, we, we finished the, the crew selection on the Friday and on the Monday we were on the lockdown. And so I went from building a, a Volvo Ocean race, race team to, having no idea where the world is going now. And yeah, so I've completely shut off. I went to completely different subjects and now I'm getting back into it because obviously, you know, we can see a little bit of light at the end yeah. of the first tunnel. Yeah. Johan, uh, thank you very much. I mean, um, yeah, thank you very much for, for, for talking to me. Thank you very much for letting me cheat off your exam papers all those years ago at university. That was uh, greatly received. That's only because I cheated on somebody else. Oh, okay, fine. Well, I'll pass it on to you. Can pass it on. We'll pass it. It was probably Ollie. I'll pass it on to Ollie. <laughs> All right, mate. Listen, thank you very much for talking to me. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed, we see you guys out in the water soon. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, very soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, see you, mate.